Sorry about earlier. Glad you're here. Glad we could sing the praise of the Lord together. I want to remind you that we're here singing, acknowledging the hurt that we may come in with, but knowing that we're pointing each other to Jesus as we're running this together. So I just want to ask you to lean in and sing of the faithfulness of the Lord with me.
Just give God a hand. Awesome, awesome. Can you, uh, let's just go before the Lord as we continue on. Jesus, we come before you and, and just declare you're the priority. And, and God, we uh, just know the words in that song. Just longing hearts. God, longing, longing to know you. And those longing hearts uh, for those that waited for, your, waited for you to come, Jesus. God, we know we have you. We know that you reign, that you are alive, that you are well, that you are king. And so now we have hope that we can cling to, hope that we can we can cling to to move on in this world. And so, God, I pray that as we move on in, in this morning, that we would just get out everything on the table, know that no one here is on a higher pedestal. No one here has it more together. God, that we all are just big, hot messes a lot of times, and sometimes we might have it a little bit together, but, God, the next day it's, it's, it's all over the place. And so, God, we just know that we are a mess without you and know that truly you are a hope. And so this morning I pray as we continue to hear from your word and as we grow and as we challenge ourselves to to not do more but to cling tighter to you that uh, you would just move in only a way that you can through your holy spirit jesus we love you we're just so grateful to gather to make you the priority in jesus name we pray amen good morning church is everybody alive a little bit all right make sure you say hello to those around you we're excited that you're here can have a seat. Well, we're so glad you guys are here this morning. Um, I just want to talk about Christmas Eve coming up next Monday at 2, 4, and 6. When you came in, you should have had three of these little cards on your seat. And what we want to do is just encourage you, take these home, pray over them, Think of someone that you've been building that relationship with. There's someone that's been laid on your heart to bring and invite to church. This is the perfect opportunity to let them come, hear the good news of Jesus, celebrate his birthday with you. Um, Again, that's next Monday, 2, 4, or 6. Celebrate Christmas Eve. So when you all leave, my challenge is you grab one or two or three on on your seat. If you need more, let us know. But like Carice said, this is an awesome way to invite somebody. 80% of people won't show up to something unless they're invited. There's that, always that chance of rejection, but I think it's worth it. Just say, hey, come sit with us. We're coming to the four, we're coming to the six or the two. And then, you know, like Ken said, if you're good, we'll buy you dinner afterwards or whatever works for you. But uh, just know that we're excited to celebrate Jesus and we're just so thankful for you. If you're new, one thing I want to say is if you're new with us, um, please just stop by the Welcome Center. They have something free to give you. And if you have any questions about the church or where things are, they're the people to talk to. And so we're really, really excited to have you join us this morning. So we want to continue to talk about the birthday gift of Jesus. And so as Pastor Ken comes up, we're getting excited. Folks, as we've been praying over the birthday gift of Jesus, just like to take you to the, to the uh, pamphlet inside of your foyer there. And as we've been praying over that, I, want, I just want to encourage you to, uh, to look at a few names this morning. First of all, look at our, our thermometer. We set the goal at 83,000. We're up to 41.8. Can we thank God for that? That's exciting. So uh, 
we are we are just about halfway there. Maybe just a little bit more for me there, Harry. All right, and uh, we're we're just about halfway there. And as we are coming in uh, coming into Christmas here, I want to encourage you to pray over these names. Give more to Jesus than you give to anybody else, because God, uh, you know, it's His birthday. It's Jesus's birthday, and when we make Him the center of the attention, we put Him at the top. That is where it's going to be so wonderful, and it changes your Christmas. I encourage you, maybe you want to get a special ornament to represent your gift that you're giving here to the birthday gift of Jesus. Hang that ornament on your tree. Talk about it with your kids. Just just make a big deal in your family about it because you're putting Jesus at the top. A couple of the missionaries on here that I want to highlight this morning. Number one is Scott Phillips. Scott and Jenny Phillips, you'll see them. They're on our list here. They are in Indonesia. We supported them for many years and uh, they actually translated the Bible into this tribal language in Indonesia. They have video footage. You go to their website, you can see video footage of, of these people whenever they first received the Bible and how excited they were to have a, their own copy of God's Word into their language, which had never been written before. So we're, we're thankful for the opportunity that we have to partner with people like that. Then we have Daniel and Anita Gonzalez. I was just down there visiting them in October, and uh, we had a great visit with them. We dedicated the camp. Our church was very instrumental in their camp. So we, we went down there. Mark Slagle and I first made a little trip down there. Then we started praying. We asked God. Then we took, took a, the next group. We took about 40 people down. And we took our group of 40 people. We went up on this mountain. And we said, God, if it's your will for him to have this camp, would you give it to him? Six months later, he had the camp. And so we were just so thankful to God. So our church has had a significant part. We've partnered with Daniel and Anita Gonzalez and their team. And you'll see they're on our list as well. I think we give them five or $6,000 every year. Uh, $6,000 goes to their whole team. There's a, it, you go down there and you meet him. It's not just Daniel and Anita. He, he's got about four couples that are working together. And we're able to support these families. And, and uh, they're just so blessed whenever they get a surprise in, the, in, their, in their account from Crossroads Ministries. All of a sudden, God has provided. So, you know, as you're praying and you're asking God to meet the need, God has people that have a need, and he's asking, they're asking him. So isn't that exciting that you get to be an answer to God's people, to his prayer? His people are praying, and you're his people, and you're praying. And as we put this together, what God does around the world. Can we just thank our Lord this morning for this great opportunity that we have to be a part of that? If you're giving to the birthday gift to Jesus this morning, please designate it as such whenever you put it in the offering plate as it comes your way this morning. This time I'd like to ask our ushers to come and we'll receive our morning offering. And we are just so thankful for all that God is doing. We're looking forward to Christmas Eve. Going to be fantastic. I encourage you, get those cookies to your neighbors this week, all right? Especially if I'm your neighbor. That'll be good, all right? Get those cookies out and put one of those invites in there. And I'll tell you what, 80% of the people will come if they're invited. They just need to know that we're here. They need to know that you're there. So we're excited about that. This morning, before we pray, I'd just like to uh, ask you to pray for two families in our church that are going through, uh, well, there's many that are going through a lot of hard times, but Dan Hayden, as many of you know, Dan just recently in in transit moving to to Tennessee. He's home this week, and uh, his sister passed away suddenly uh, uh, over the weekend. So we want to ask for prayer for them. The viewing for his sister, Amy Large, she'll be, uh, the visitation is on Monday at Massafras from 2 to 4, 6 to 8 on Monday. And then I'll be doing the funeral on Tuesday down at Massafras Funeral Home in Manesson, Donora. Also, uh, also, if you'd be praying for Frank Turco. Frank is one of our great guys. You know, we have this Wednesday work crew that comes up and helps out. And Frank has faithfully served for years on Wednesday coming up. He served this church for years, way before he ever retired. And then he comes up every Wednesday. And, uh, I mean, he'll, he'll weed whack that hillside. And then I found out he's 79. He's going to be 80 this year, right? Then I found out, I went down to have lunch with the guys. I'm like, where's Frank? Oh, he went to the hospital. I'm like, well, what happened to Frank? Frank fell down, and, uh, and he cracked his hip. Frank had to have hip replacement, partial hip replacement on Friday. They did this, heart, uh, this replacement. So if you'd be praying for Frank, that's a, that's a big deal. His wife, Kay, was here this morning. 
Uh, they're just great people. And so just, a, just sudden accidents like that. And I know there are many others that are going through some significant pain. But I just want to remember a few of you this morning as we pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we come before you and we thank you for what you're doing in your, in your ministry, Lord. This is your work, your church. Thank you for the 40-plus people who came to Jesus last week at the Christmas Dessert Theater. Thank you for all of our family pitching in in the church and serving faithfully. It's just so wonderful to watch you do that. God, thank you for, for the ability to give to these missionaries. As we give to you this morning, Lord, uh, as we give our tithe, our offering, and then over and above, we, we, we bless your, with your birthday gift to the, to the missionaries around the world. God, I pray that you would will, you will just be honored and glorified by all that's said and done, by all that we give to you. And Lord, I lift up Frank to you as he's recovering in the hospital this morning after that surgery. I, I lift up to you the Hayden family as they're grieving. And I just uh, ask, Lord, that you put your hand on all these situations. And Lord, there are many of them, many situations that we carry. And we need you this morning. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to give and to bless your name. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning we are privileged to have Cody Sable, who's a local speed painter here in Pittsburgh, and his wife Sarah are here, and I've known Cody for uh, about a year, a couple years, and uh, so we're going to check out this video, and I just know that you are going to be so blessed by this, so just check out this video, and then he's going to come. tries to tell you differently. 
But I believe that miracles can still happen. Just when it seems impossible, the unexpected happens when you least expect it. Once upon a time, on a dark and cold winter's night, I saw a bright star shining from the east, and I followed it. All of the sudden, an angel of the Lord appeared and said, Do not be afraid. I bring good news of great joy for all mankind. Today, a Savior has been born to you, and He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you you will find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests.
we just thank God for that? Well, that was powerful, I'll tell you. Man, just to see. I just, I just love when you watch people use their gifts like that. You know, God's given them a true gift, a true talent there, and to be able to use it for God. On his website, he says that one of the great joys of his life is to be able to put painting down and watch the Holy Spirit work as he does this paint on the canvas. And I thought, wow, how powerful that is there this morning. And so uh, this morning, you know, I was thinking about him as he's doing that, and he's like, man, he did that in seven minutes. And I can't even get a 30-minute message in on 30 minutes, can I? I, just, uh, I, don't, I don't know how, I, how that can happen, but thank God for that. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our series, The Thrill of Hope. We start out, uh, we talked about the light. We said that Jesus is the light. We live in darkness, and Jesus is the light. And then last week, we jumped into a lot of the genealogy. And I shared with you that, you know, on Christmas morning, I don't sit down and read the genealogy to my family. Could you imagine that? Your kids are little and you start reading. Okay, now this is how it happened. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And, uh, and we said that the reason that he did that, that Matthew's telling the story. He wants you to know the truth about Jesus. So he doesn't start out once upon a time. There are plenty of stories. If you're making up a story, you say once upon a time. So he's coming and he's telling this because it's true, it's real. And in the Jewish mind, he's writing, written to Jewish people here, Matthew. He's trying to get their attention. He says, I want you to remember all the promises of God, and I want you to see what God was doing. So he takes them back. He says he's the son of David who was also of, of Abraham. So you had the promise. God had given a promise all the way back to Abraham, all the way back down to, uh, all, all the way down through David, and that one day God would bless all peoples through Abraham. And I'm sure whenever David arrived on the scene, they thought that was the answer, because King David was a great king. And so uh, we, we looked through this, we looked through the genealogy last week, and we said that grace is the thrill of hope. Grace is the actual thrill of hope because as you look through the genealogies, you see that he included people in there. And when Matthew, Matthew's going through this, Matthew is telling the story. As Matthew's telling the story, he's telling the story that Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and then he gets into it, he says Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So, so whenever you see the story unfold, you see, all right, hey, he included this, a couple of women in there. You typically didn't include women in that. Uh, a genealogy was the dads. They would refer to the men. And uh, Joseph begat Jake, uh, Jacob begat Joseph, and they would just go on throughout the genealogies. But Matthew here decides to include Tamar. And Tamar was, a, a, it was, it was really a, a, a terrible story. It was a terrible record that we have. Tamar uh, tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her. And she has a baby, and the baby is part, you know, uh, Judah, the father of Perez and Zehar, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron. And so, so you, you look through there and you say, oh, God used these, th- these terrible situations. Uh, Matthew didn't have to include Tamar. He didn't, he's telling the story. So he, he didn't have to go there. Uh, he includes Rahab, who was a prostitute. He, he includes David. He talks about David. And, and David's very important because he's the king, right? So you're seeing that Jesus is part of this kingly, kingly lineage. But Matthew goes on and says, whose mother, he, you know, he was the fa- uh, whose mother was, I'm sorry, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And so he's referring to the whole Bathsheba incident. And we, and we got into that greatly last week. And we said that grace is the thrill of hope. And it really is. Because there is no longer this, this whole idea that I'm unclean before God because he has taken care of it on the cross. You see, all these people were included into the family tree not because of their good deeds, not because of something that they have done, but because of something that God chose to do. And God takes our mess and he works his best, even in our biggest mess. And so you look through the family tree there, you see all these problems. So in Jesus, we see that the prostitute and the king sit at the same table. Male and female sit at the same table. Jew and Gentile sit at the same table. Moral and immoral sit at the same table. All sit down as equal. We sit down at the table of Christ, equally, sinfully, and lost equally accepted, equally loved. That's why Isaiah said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. 
Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Do you remember the Scarlet Letter? Do you remember that novel, the Scarlet Letter? Anybody remember that novel? I was supposed to read it in high school. I think I read a couple chapters, and I got really smart. I, I had, there was a couple of girls that were really smart in our class, so they helped me get through class. You know, that's how I got through literature. They would do the reading, and they would tell me, here's the plot. And I was like, thank God for those smart people. But, you know, I just thought about that, the, scrim, the, the crimson letter, uh, the scarlet letter. That your sins be as scarlet. You know, that's what we do in our society. We, we make the scarlet letter on people, and we, we tag people. And God says, there's no tagging in my book. There's no. Because though your sins are scarlet, though they're they're crimson, they shall be white as snow. And so this is is why grace is the thrill of hope. That's why in that genealogy, he he, he puts it all there so that you can have it. In Hebrews 2.11, but the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Jesus makes men holy. He's made us holy. He is the one who is holy. We're in the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us his family, not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The next thing we learned this morning is that as you go through and you see the genealogy and you see that it looks like hope is lost. I mean, when Tamar arrived on the scene and, and, and when David sinned with Bathsheba and, and when, when the list goes on and on of all these things that were bad that were happening, it looked like hope was gone. But may I remind you this morning that God keeps his promises. When God makes a promise, he follows through. God keeps his promise. It took generations for God's promise of a Messiah to be fulfilled. And so we look there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. He says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he's referring to promises that went back to Abraham all the way through. So, so as they're waiting for the promise, God said that he would bless all the world. All peoples would be blessed through the descendants of Abraham. But take it back even further. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. It's a beautiful place. He says, you know, you, you, know, you can have everything of one tree you cannot eat of. Don't eat of this tree. And what's he do? He goes over and eats of the tree. And so, so here we are. It, now, this is what is beautiful. God always has to follow through with his word. And when he, when he disciplines, he always has love. You know, we're not always like that, are we? Sometimes we discipline without love. God always disciplines, and when he disciplines, there's love. So God said, go ahead, I'm going to show you. Of, of everything in this place, don't eat of this tree, or you will surely die. And so he has to follow through. Adam and Eve are tempted by Satan. Satan is in the form of a serpent. He tempts them, and, uh, and then they go, and they, they sin. They, they do exactly what God told them not to do. So as they're going through this, God says, all right, I have to come. I ha- I'm going to have to, you know, it is appointed unto man once to die. He had to follow through. Death entered the world because of that sin. So he, he passes the judgment on Adam and Eve, and he also passed the judgment, but yet with this judgment, there was a promise. Now look at the promise here in Genesis 3, chapter 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Some scholars question, did the snake have feet at one point? Did he have multiple feet that he could move around? Uh, the, the curse here is that you will be on your belly for the rest of time. On your belly you shall go. You'll eat of the dust all the days of your life. Now look, he continues on. He says, and I will put enmity. I'll put a strain. There's gonna be, there's gonna, you're going to be at odds between you and the woman. Between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and, he, and you shall bruise his heel. What he's referring to here, God has given, this is the first, this is the first promise. It, it is from long, long, long. This is the way back. Here we go. Sin enters the world. Before any more humans come along, Adam and Eve sin. And God, right away with the sin, he follows through on his promise. Death must enter the picture. And now he says, in addition to that, I'm going to provide hope. He never gives condemnation without hope. 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He never gives one without the other. And so from the very beginning, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Uh, The seed of the woman would be Jesus. He's talking about when Jesus would arrive on the scene. And he says, and he will bruise your head. When Jesus died on the cross, I would say it was rather crushing to the head of Satan, wouldn't you? It actually crushed the head of Satan. And, and he will bruise your heel. And you shall bruise his heel. You, you will crush, he will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. So what happened was Satan, you know, did you ever go out in tall grass and fear for snakes? I went to the jungle of Ecuador. Mark Slagle and I did. We're out there in the jungle of Ecuador. And guess what happens? They're all wearing these boots. And these boots come up protecting their ankles. It's pretty high. And uh, we didn't have ours because we exceeded the weight limit of the plane. So, uh, you know, they put us on the scale. They're like, all right, you have to leave all your luggage. I didn't have a Bible. I had to go in from memory. They gave me a Spanish Bible when I got in the jungle. I'm like, thank you, guys. This is wonderful. And I couldn't even take bottled water. They get in there, and I see this lady. She, she's smacking. The, her name's Dayume. Dayume was the first convert. This was the, the tribe where, where the people had been, uh, where the missionaries went, and they were actually martyred for their faith. They went in. They were trying to share the gospel with the, with the nationals there, with the locals in the jungle, and they lost their lives. Five missionaries, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott. You go read about it. It's been about 60 years ago. It's an incredible how God worked. Their families went back in. Their families go in and they minister. And Dayume was a young teenage girl and she was one of the first people to come to Christ. We meet her in her old age and she's over there with this broom, kind of a thatched broom. And I'm like, what are they doing? What, what, what's that lady doing? And they're like, well, that's Dayume, the first convert. But why is, she, why is she out in the grass with a broom? Oh, they know the Americans are coming. They're trying to scare the snakes off for you guys. I was like, oh, thank you. And they said, well, see, if you notice, she has boots on and everybody wears boots here so that, so that when you're walking through the grass, if you happen to hit a snake, because if you step on a snake, you know it's going to bite you, and the, and the rubber boot will protect you. I was like, okay, and we have no boots. Thank you. So, so you know what? If you step on a snake, you're both going to remember it. The snake will never forget it, and you will never forget it, Right? I've seen the strongest of men go down around a snake. Ron Gamender, was a, he, he was our hero here. And you got a snake around Ron Gamender, he lost it. It was, it was some comical times when you'd see Ron Gamender around a snake. We used to put, him on, put a fake snake on his desk just to freak him out, all right? That, that, that's, that's exactly what it's like. So, so Jesus said that he will bruise you and you will bruise him. And so on that, this is the picture of the, the foot coming down on the snake, but yet the snake would bite back, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus comes on the cross, and he follows through. He bruised him. He crushed him because his, his hope is gone. But he did put a bite on Christ, and Christ died on the cross that day. But yet three days later, he rose again. He's the ever-living Savior, and he is the King of kings of whom we serve. God keeps his promise. When Mary got the word, the angel comes to Mary and tells her that you will be, uh, you, you, God is, you're highly favored. God's going to use you. You're going to bring the Messiah into this world. Luke chapter 1, verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered. She's singing the song. It's known as Mary's song. Go read it. It's powerful. Luke chapter 1, um, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. You know, some people think that God doesn't keep his promises. Some people think that God just doesn't follow through because things aren't going according to my plan, according to my calendar. And I want to share with you this morning that uh, you cannot judge God by your calendar. You see, could you imagine what the people of Israel were thinking? The people of Israel were thinking, you know, will the Messiah ever come? David screwed up. Tamar, look at the story with Tamar and, and that whole fiasco. Look, we got Rahab in here. We got, we got foreigners in the midst of this. How's this all happening? And so he says, how will this ever come? And they're, they're wondering what will happen. And God finally pulls through. And you're talking from creation to when Jesus arrives is roughly, was that, three, 4,000 years, folks? 
You're talking a long, long time. And now as you get to that 4,000 year mark, all of a sudden God comes in and he says, all right, I am going to give you the Messiah. Here he comes, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, Christ the Lord, your Savior. You cannot judge God by your calendar. Joseph was, uh, J- Jacob begat Joseph. You go through that lineage. You see, when Jacob had his son Joseph, he was one of 12. He, uh, he had the coat of many colors. And so as he wears the coat of many colors, his brothers are jealous of him. He had a dream. and his dream, God revealed to him that he had a purpose. God had a plan. God was going to do something. So if, if God spoke to you in a dream, and he told you you have a plan and a purpose, wouldn't you want to live it? Wouldn't you want to go out and say, I want to find out what that dream meant? So that's what Joseph was doing. He's trying to find out what that dream meant. So he's out there and he's trying to live, trying to do his thing. And all of a sudden, his brothers get jealous. They conspire. They throw him in the pit. They, they leave him for naught. They take the bloody coat home. Look, Dad, uh, something happened to Joseph. We don't know what happened. He must be dead. So he, he lives. He goes on the next 20 years of his life wondering, you know, will I ever see my family again? He's in the pit. Then he gets sold into slavery. Then he gets, uh, he's in, in jail again. He comes and he goes. He gets in power. He's out of power. And now at the end of the story, he's like the second in command in Egypt. And at, 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 up in Egypt now, so he's in the neighboring community. Israel is going through a terrible famine, and they have to come over to Egypt to get food. And guess who's there but Joseph. And Joseph's there, the family comes in, and as they come in, and they're in a very humble position now, they're looking, for the, they're looking for food, they need help. Look what happens. What would you do if, if your brother sold you off like that? Left you for naught? What would you do? Wouldn't you want to make him sweat it for a while? Wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't do anything. Maybe it's, it's called payback is what we would typically do. Well, you did that to me, I'll do this to you. And, and look at Je- Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me. This is what Joseph says. He says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Wait a minute. You were doing this, but God at the same time was doing something different. He says, you intended it for harm, to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. He was at this place of power. Not only did he save his brothers, but he saved thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lives. And God was at work all through the time. For the 20 years that he thought that God didn't pull through. When Jesus was walking the earth, he had his public ministry. He had a very interesting story over in Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read a little bit of the backstory to you, and then we'll we'll get to the verse on the screen here. But Mark chapter 5, Jesus got into the boat again. He went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come lay hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd. Now, now you read it, and, and you're going to hear two stories, and I never really caught the tension here. Now, check the tension of it. So here's Jairus. He comes and says, please, you must help me. He's the local synagogue leader. Prestigious man, right? And so he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, sure, I'll help you. Like he was helping everybody. He wasn't playing respect to persons. The leader of the synagogue comes and says, can I help? Can you help me? My daughter's dying. All right. So Jesus starts along the journey. He starts making, making his journey. And as he walks along and makes that journey, all of a sudden, <clears throat> here comes another lady. Look at the crowd. Verse, uh, verse 25. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 20, I'm sorry, had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. So she had a blood issue, constant, constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and, and touched his robe. Now, now imagine what Jesus, what's going on here. The, this, uh, this lady comes up and she touches his robe. And Jesus is navigating through the crowd. He's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. And think of all the type A disciples here as, as we're coming here, right? 
For she thought, uh, she, she heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and she touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of a terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around to the crowd and says, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, who touched my robe? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And Jesus does another miracle. But what about Jairus' daughter? God said, I'm coming. Jesus here says, I'm coming with you. You've come to me, Jairus. I'm going to go. Let's go. He's on the way. The crowd gets bigger as he goes. And somebody just pulls on his, pulls on his shirt, you know? That, it, it, that's, you know? That's like me. If, you're, if I'm going somewhere with my wife, if I tell her I'm going to be there at 5, she knows it could possibly be 6. Because if somebody grabs at me, I'm talking to you. I mean, I just stop. I'm a people person. If there's people in my way, Jesus is on the way. Here's Jairus. Lord, just, we've got to get there before my daughter dies. I hope that you can do this. And he's, he's coming. It's a, a, a position of humility. And, uh, and now he stops and he takes his time. And then look what happens here. And, P, and, and uh, verse 35, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. And the disciples are standing there, they're shaking their head, really? Jesus, why would you let that girl die? What's going on here? What, what, I, this doesn't make any sense. What, what are you doing here? Uh, you promised Jairus that you would go, and now you stop and you deal with this other lady, and she wasn't even life-threatening. You could have come back and dealt with that on the way back. What are you doing? So watch, watch what happens. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus was, uh, saw such a commotion, weeping and wailing, And he went inside and asked, why all this crying? Why all this commotion? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding up her hand, he said to her, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. You see, God is seldom early, but never late. God is seldom early, but never late. See, when you're, when you're wrestling with your plan, when you're wrestling with the way it should be, I want you to understand that God has the grand plan at mind. And if you look through that genealogy, go through Matthew 1, 1 through 17, you'll see all this stuff that was all sidetracked. You'll see that God had a grand plan at mind. And I want you to understand this morning that in your life, the things that you're dealing with, the things that are messing up your life, God is not absent. God is still involved. He is still has the plan. And here's what you need. You need rest. You see, God's grace never operates on our time frame. It does not follow our agendas. It not, doesn't follow our schedules. But I want you to have rest in knowing that he is in charge, that he has the plan. As you go through this, uh, I want you to understand that rest is the thrill of hope. Rest is the thrill of hope. And, and this is kind of just a little fun thing I want to show you here this morning. Matthew 1, 117 says, Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. And so I've read that over and over, and I've seen this. I've seen that there were 14, 14, and 14. And as you put the, the three 14s over there, I'm thinking, why did Matthew even talk about that? Why did he even bring up three 14s? I read a, read a commentary by Timothy Keller, great, great author. And Timothy Keller says, as you look at this, this here shows us what there, it shows us that there's rest. I'm thinking, he says, no, when you, when you read the Bible, when you see numbers, there's always a significance for the number. 
So he's drawing us and he's pointing to us 14, 14, 14. There's three sets of 14. And you can go back and you take those numbers and the way it puts the, the consonants in Hebrews is that that number forms the name David and it goes back to the kingly lineage. Yes, that's, that's important. But he also says it points out rest. Because if you look through 7 plus 7, 7 plus 7, and 7 plus 7, you now have six sets of seven. God, in the, when he created the world, created the earth six days, and what did he do on the seventh? He rested. Matthew is sending us a little, little bit of hope here. He's saying, look, there were six, six sets of seven. On the seventh is when we rest. They were, they were overwhelmed. Maybe David would be the king and God was still working. Here comes all these other guys, Joseph and Jacob, and you look through there and there's work, there's work, there's work. But when Jesus came, there was rest for you. Because as you look through the, through the Old Testament, they talked about the Sabbath all the time. They talked about the six days and then they talk about seven was rest. As a matter of fact, if you go through... And you read about it, you'll read that in Mosaic Law, every seven years the farmer was to let the land lie and not work it. Give it a chance to replenish its nutrients. The seventh year was the year of rest. In Leviticus, we're told that the, the, the last of the seventh period of seven years, 49 years, was to be a year of jubilee. In that year, all of the slaves were to be freed and all the debts were to be forgiven. All of the land and all their people were, were to have rest from their weariness and from their burdens. The seventh seven, the Sabbath of Sabbaths, this was a foretaste of the final rest that all will have when God renews the earth. So Matthew here is telling us that the only rest comes through Christ. Now I want to take it a step further. What did Jesus say about rest? Look, here's what he says. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. I think we have it on the screen. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble. I am gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Folks, we live in a world that is dying for hope. We live in a world that needs rest. You know, I went out there yesterday. I was out and about, and, and, uh, and I was trying to get down Route 19. And as you got close to South Hills Village, it was bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. And fortunately, I knew how to get off there and do a bunch of back roads to get where I needed to do. Because I'm not very patient in traffic, and neither are you. So I'm like sitting in traffic. And I just started, I'm looking around. There is nobody has any hope. And it, yesterday, today, yesterday, this is the biggest shopping days probably getting close to Christmas. And probably most of you, you might have been even out there. I'll go out next Sunday night. That's whenever I do my Christmas shopping. But we'll, we'll be out there, right? But, uh, you know, when you go out and you do this Christmas shopping, you look around, you see people. Do you ever see anybody smiling in the line at Target? Do you ever see anybody in Macy's happy? Do you see anybody in the places where you're going? It's just like, man, they're laying down the lettuce and they're saying, man, I hope this, I hope I just, I just want my kids to be happy. I just want my wife to be happy. Happy wife, happy life. Come on. I just want her to be happy. And, and, and everybody's laying down this stuff. And in the meantime, it doesn't meet the need. And G Jesus, when he gave this, the context he gave it to was, and we're going to leave that verse up here, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus gave this. He says, come to me. His, his invitation is, come to me. And I want you to have that invitation this morning. Come to Jesus. He never said, come to church. He never said, follow a bunch of rules. He said, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden carry heavy burdens. You know, there, in the culture, what was happening there? The, the rabbis. You would have different rabbis. And one rabbi would try to be known as greater than the other rabbi. One rabbi would say, you know, if you're, 
if you're Rabbi Ken, you're going to be part of the following of Rabbi Ken. You have to do all these things. But if you're part of Rabbi George, you're, you, you follow Rabbi George, you follow Rabbi George. And he has this school of thinking. And so these rabbis would come up with different weights. And, and they had like hundreds and hundreds of rules. Maybe if you're part of Rabbi Ken's, they would say, don't walk on the, on the grass on the Sabbath day because you might harvest a, 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 a blade of grass. And then you'd be working on the Sabbath day. So you would feel proud. And that rabbi would feel proud. And he would be arrogant. And he would build it up. And he would build this heavy weight on you to be his follower. And Jesus says, come unto me, all of you that are living under legalism. All of you that are trying to get better. He says, come unto me. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke. You know, a yoke was, they would put two animals, put two ox. It was a, a piece of wood that would go over two ox. And Jesus says, come unto me and get into my yoke because I will carry the burden. I will give you rest. You see, when you're out there trying to do this alone, you're trying to work it, you're trying to make things happen, you're disappointed, you're discouraged. He says, I'll give you rest when you come into my yoke. And whenever, whenever you come into my yoke, and now I'm there, I'm carrying the burden for you. He says, come unto me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble. I'm not like those other rabbis. I'm gentle. And I will give your soul rest. I think this morning there's some people in here. I think myself included, my soul needs rest. Sometimes I'm just struggling because I want everything to be right. I want it to be perfect. I want it to be my way. God says life isn't about your way, Pastor Ken. It's about his way. He says, trust me. For my yoke is easy to bear. My burden I give you his light. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 from the message. It's a paraphrase. I just read it to you here this morning. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely. You'll learn to live lightly. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to encourage you to come to Jesus. That's the invitation. Come to me. He doesn't say come to church, come and give your money. Those are all part of growth, but he says come to me. And I will give you rest. This morning it starts with a relationship with Jesus. So if you're here and you say, Pastor Ken, I've not yet started a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to open your heart and begin a a journey with Christ. To let him take you to rest. Uh, Pray something like this to God. Just say, dear God, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things. But I know that you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. And I'm inviting you into my life right now. God, I love you. And I thank you. Thank you for loving me. I want your rest for my soul. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to also offer to you, maybe you've been following Jesus for some time, but... You've been carrying some burdens. Maybe it's the burden of relationships. Maybe it's the burden of your family. Burden of health. Burden of finances. All that are weak and heavy laden. All that are under these burdens. I will give you rest. You won't find rest by trying to fix it. You'll find rest in Him. And He never promised that He'd change your circumstance. But He promised He'd give you rest for your soul. So I invite you, if you're a follower of Christ... Today's the day to come back. You see, sometimes in our relationship, we we fade. But he's always there. He says, come to me. So just take a moment as we close the service. And would you talk to God and say, God, here I am.
I've been walking. I've been carrying this burden. I can't carry it anymore, Lord. I can't do this. But I know that you can. And I want to join you. I want to get back in that yoke. I want to get back and, and let you carry the weight. Respond to the master. Dear God, be with your people this morning as they respond to you. Lord, I pray that you'll use the power of your word and that you'll speak to them all throughout this day, all throughout this week, as we seek to love you and seek to live in that rest. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Would you greet those around you?